What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Dish Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all of support and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform. And make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the Deep Dish Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. Jeanette, what's going on? Welcome to the Deep Dish Conversation platform. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you for being here. We're back in our old stumping grounds. Yes. Um, when I was working for the contributor. That was at least five, six years ago. That was like 2016 to 2017. Yeah, yeah. Man, yeah. And you know, pandemic years make everything feel longer. Longer or shorter. Longer or shorter. Yeah, yeah for sure. Definitely. Yeah. So uh, let's get straight into it. Um, if you can, for just you know, introduce yourself. Tell tell us who you are, what you do, um, and just a little bit of background on yourself. Yeah, um, my name is Jeanette Opheim. I'm an author and a mom, and that's r- really where I've just <laughs> focused my life this past year. Uh, I am. I have one children's book out called Annie and Khalil, and then I am working on a novel right now too. So it's my main focus. No, I'm um I'm really excited to talk about like how your journey played a part into the book. Mm-hmm. In which uh, I was telling you earlier, my son Jameson, you know, we uh we got the book, purchased the book, and he does he did what toddlers do, read it, ripped it, <laughs> read it some more, ripped it up. <laughs> it's well loved. It's well loved. Paperbacks just don't survive nope. with, with toddlers, and I learned that. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Like, you know, this being my first child, I didn't realize like they make like, like, like really like child friendly book covers and material where they can chew on it, mm. you know, rip it, and it's not it's not going it's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's going to last forever. Mm-hmm. Not my book. <laughs> <laughs> but you got a hardback out now. That, I do. Yeah, that just so, came out. But the pages but inside. But the pages still, yeah. But, well, the cover stands there. Yeah. That's what people see. That's yeah. what they care about. Yeah. Is the cover. So, um. No, let's 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 get right into like just like this your journey, your background, mm-hmm. and uh, so can you just tell us a little bit about like your community bubble that you grew up in? So I think the best way to summarize how I was raised was it's based off a question I was asked a couple summers ago by um, Dr. Tracy Baxley. She's an educator and an author. Um, I'll just highlight her book in a little bit, but I took a class of hers, and she asked. Um, when was the first time you remember having the discussion in your family about what it meant to be a white person in America? Mm. And I sat there and I was like, I've never had that conversation. Right. That's a luxury as a white person in America we can have, or we don't have to have. Um, And so that kind of summarizes my upbringing. I, I, I will use this term probably 10 more times while we talk, but you know, it takes a village to raise a child. So I was raised by my parents, of course, but the village around me, everyone was pretty much white and middle-class. I Mm -hmm. saw no variety outside of that in my neighborhood in my schools and my church. It wasn't until ninth grade when I went into high school that I really started to see the world, um, beyond my bubble. So, um, being raised in that capacity I definitely I put my blinders up and just put me in this little comfortable little bubble I floated along in right. and so um in that bubble hmm. <laughs> well so where is this bubble located 
Um, I grew up 45 minutes south of Washington, D.C. Okay. So it's a county called Charles County in Southern Maryland. Okay. Okay. Anything that we would know to, like, kind of... About that area? Yeah, about the area. Um, I mean, it's not... It's a diverse area, Uh but it's... um, It can... It's. I mean, I wouldn't describe it as just white or just black or I mean there was a lot of culture I just the way I was raised like I watched your interview with Tim Wise and how he was his mom like had very deliberate social awareness and she placed her son in an education that like led how it reflected the real world um I just don't think that was at the forefront of the village that raised me they they didn't think of that it was just comfortable right so when you got into ninth grade like what blew your mind the most like what did you (laughs) how did your perspective change or start changing i learned about life from my peers and from people that weren't raised in the same income level i was or had a family that looked completely opposite as mine right um they taught me curse words like (laughs) i didn't even know i didn't even know bad words i was that I guess sheltered is a great word right. for my upbringing. Um, they taught me about life, and right. I loved it. And I was like, oh, this is great. But I still lacked certain awareness. Um, you know, my education. Like, we grew up going to a, a slavery plantation for field trips. But when we were there, wow, we didn't learn about, you know, the Holocaust-like conditions that... Right enslaved Africans were subjected to we were like how to churn butter and look at this beautiful house that these people from long ago lived in even Mount Vernon where George Washington lived we would go there sometimes and it's all about George Washington and how wonderful he is and how beautiful his estate was and then there's just like this very small section dedicated towards the enslaved Africans he had living on his um, a state and it's just that vibe right that's just the type of education i received right. it was all like thing of the past right it's all over now right let's focus on the you know so so when you was going through this did like did you ask questions like was you were you at the point to be able to start asking questions within like your your family and your community village or were you still kind of just just going through the process, just going through the motions. Going through the motions. I naturally am a type of person that just trusts authority. Mm. And so why question what all the people above me who have experienced life are telling me is right. the way of the world. Especially if it's like your parents or like mm-hmm. like really close family members, mm-hmm. right? Many mm-hmm. of us, especially when we're adolescents, teenagers, like we don't, we don't tend to question them about things that they may lack perspective mm-hmm. on because we don't know. And mm-hmm. that's like the, you know, authority. Yes. And it goes back to <clears throat> like my educators, I think. And so therefore my education lacked a lot of awareness. I found right. an old um, notebook of mine of history notes from 10th grade and talking about the slave trade and um, slavery in America. It was very um, removed from like the tragedy that it was just like we talked about slaves coming into america the way we were talking about like 
tea and sugar. <laughs> and it was just right. in my notes. And, right. and so I was just like, oh, like in my head at the time, I was just like taking notes off right. the PowerPoint. Like this is truth. Right. This is fact. Right. And now being where I am today and looking back and reading those notes and just cringing with every word I read and just oh, with sadness, really, that right. we're, we're raised to ignore that. Or I was. Um, and I remember we did a, a group project in 10th grade and um, our group generated a very um, unfortunate project. It was insensitive. It, it was stereotypical toward a specific ethnic group and um we got an a nothing was said to us about um, how we could have made it one more politically correct but also just more empathetic toward who we were poking fun at um and i was telling my friend this story and she had a very similar one Mm -hmm. but she had um, an instructor that was aware of the issues and was able to point out to her how that was you know, you're playing to stereotypes. Why? Let's right. work our way backward and right. approach it differently. And that stuck with her, and she learned from that and grew. Yeah. But, like, I I don't know. Um, I'm not blaming my education for my lack of awareness, but right. that could have helped in that moment as right. a 15-year-old kid. <clears throat> well, I think that just says a lot about, like, how even our schools and the people that's working there, we're all in, like, like this bubble mm-hmm. and... Um, and it's, it's, it's really challenged if everybody around you thinks the same thing and everybody just going mm-hmm. with the flow, right? Sometimes it's intentional, right? We're going to make sure that we have people that have like the same kind of indoctrination mm-hmm. of thinking, you know, make sure we keep all of us together and then we pass it on to the, the next generation mm-hmm. and the next generation mm-hmm. and then the next generation until like somebody eventually leaves and wake up and say, well, wait, wait a minute now, like. Mm-hmm. These kitchen table talks that we were having were completely mm, kind of wrong, insensitive, racist, maybe discriminatory, mm-hmm. um, implicit biases, et cetera, et cetera. And so, like, and it just goes about what we're talking about, like, in our country, especially in our state of Tennessee, is just, like, critical race theory and all that, mm-hmm. how that is just, you know, no, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to get that, get that, <coughs> get that out of our schools. Yeah. But that's, like... Like an indoctrination of just like white supremacy, mm-hmm. and many people grow up in these communities and these schools that just don't change, Mm-mm. and they just stay like that. And like your friend had somebody say, "Oh, wait a minute, let's let's look at it from a different lens." And some people just like, "No, we're gonna, yeah, that's we're gonna keep this going, and we're gonna give you an A plus plus, right. right?" Which is which is so unfortunate, but just imagine how many communities, you know, across the United States are just like doing that mm-hmm. and and creating a, a community of just like people who 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 believe those things or just think like there's nothing wrong with what's happened or just continuing to carry that indoctrination on. Mm-hmm. I was a product of that, I believe, until I became an adult and yeah. really started thinking for myself. And like, let's transition to that. So, like, how did that? How did that transition happen to where like you 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 started to think for your, think for yourself? Mm-hmm. Because I'm pretty sure there's m- many people today that are in your or were in your situation growing up, and maybe still haven't learned to think for themselves or right in the thick mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. I moved out of my hometown right after college and came down here, thinking it would be just be like a fun 
two-year sabbatical or something and then go somewhere else but I ended up you know meeting Zach and here we are today almost 10 years later but um yeah just being in a like Washington DC is diverse but I wasn't in the city as an adult I was there you know going on field trips and stuff so being in a city that was made up of all walks of life was one way that just really like opened my eyes started to and then um, after I met Zach, it was, so I was like 24. That's when like he and I really started just processing the world right. as, it, as it is right. um, outside of our bubbles. Like we had removed ourselves from that village that raised us. Right. I'm, I, I won't speak to Zach's village, but the village that raised me. And um, yeah, just, oh, I'm out here. I'm able to like consume information on my terms, not on right. what I'm told is right or wrong or right. incorrect or whatnot. So how did so how did you navigate that? Because I know, um, like as it can be difficult to navigate that as like a white woman, hmm. um, and we're trying to learn, um, and like being completely wrong, but like finding like spaces where. You can you can you can bravely be wrong and have people teach you because you're willing to learn and you and you know like hey I'm looking at something different and I'm, I got something wrong but like how can I navigate out the situation? Did you have peers? Did you have like uh, friends of color uh, to be able to like uh, outside of your own kind of research and stuff kind of mm-hmm. like be able to like help you in that brave journey that you was going down? Um, I. I would say I hadn't had honest conversations about race or just other people's truths mm-hmm. um, until a little bit later. At the beginning, it was more just, you know, having a friend group that didn't look like me. Right. Um, and, huh. you know, the, the conversations probably started off pretty superficial and just right. like, hi, how are you? And like, we're friends. But right. then, you know, deepening relationships, getting more intentional um, and growing from that um, right. and understanding that when it comes to disparity and oppression, I am forever going to be a perpetual student right. in that. Will I learn things that I need to share? Absolutely. But I, it's better for me to sit down and listen and learn right. than to act like I you know, know everything or right. tell people they're wrong. Um, right. Oh, I was going to say something. I just spaced. Uh, it's okay. Continue. No. And so um, you have a very interesting family dynamic mm-hmm. um, that has led you to a book, yep. your, your authorship. Uh, but also, you know, a lot of people might, mm, you know, white couple adopts a black child. You know, might be a little white saverism. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? People just have different different feelings about that, right? Yeah. Um, and just the adoption yeah. uh, world in itself, right? Uh, a lot of things have been coming out of, of just over the last years mm-hmm. about how that process mm-hmm. is and is going. Um, speak on your journey as a as a parent and mm-hmm. trying to to raise kids to be anti racist and just navigating that uh because i don't you know many people who haven't adopted kids or people who may not know uh about the adoption process but also just adopting a being like a a white 
family adopting a black kid and then eventually adding another um, daughter mm-hmm. um, to the family and this that whole process and like I'm, I'm I'm gonna get deeper into it, but I want I want you to just kind of break that down for us. Yeah, so I guess I'll just like start with how our family was formed. So Zach and I, when we met, we you know adoption was something that came up kind of early on, and and I, you know what, if if someone says that's white saviorism, I don't think that's unjustified. Um, but our standpoint was, we have a home, we have a heart, we don't feel like closed off to people that aren't biologically related to us so Mm -hmm. if there's a need Mm -hmm. for a child to be adopted we feel like we are a good family for a child um so that was always something that we had discussed but then we had a pregnancy loss and that really was like we want to be parents um we don't know if we can get pregnant so let's pursue adoption which we did and so our son came into our family through adoption and he is black and then shortly after we started the adoption process we got pregnant so our daughter came um, five months later and yeah we get we get looks we get um double takes I don't blame everyone's justified in that sometimes I get asked if I'm the kid's nanny um and just like oh what's going on here right but so during that that adoption process um with your son um what were kind of your like family your village Mm-hmm. Um, what were what were kind of their takes, and and why and why black son? Mm-hmm. Um, so our family is great about it. I mean, we grew up, or I grew up in a church where there was a lot of adoption. However, it was always narrated to me of like these kids needed home, kind of what I just spoke to, right? These kids need homes, and this right. family is open to it, and, like, how wonderful. Look how beautiful they are. But I never right. actually talked to those kids, like, what's it like for you as an adoptee, right? Like, right. how is this for you as a black child in a white family? Right. Um, so I just always had that vantage point of it. Um, and when it came time for our, like, when we went through the adoption process, something um, that came up, pretty early on was just you know you're gonna have to decide what you're open to Mm -hmm. and so we were open to it all but one thing that they sorry by it all we we were open to any child but um they made it very clear that if you bring a child of a different race into your family do you have a community to support them like if you're white and you bring an Asian child into your family, do you have an Asian community that you can immediately immerse them in? And so we have a pretty good black community around us that we felt solid in raising a child with our village, right? Making them um, that part of our village. And so that's ultimately how we ended up with the black son. What are some of the initial barriers? Because when I think about that, right? And I think about just the reality of the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine just like just mentally just trying to how do I how do how do I one make sure like my black son knows that he's black mm-hmm. 
and how like and, and how old is he now? Two. Like two. two and and so he's you know like he's just a kid. They they like you know mm-hmm. at some point like it'll be a deeper conversation that y'all have. But as a parent, it's like how thinking about that, thinking about those conversations, thinking about like the realities of the world, um, and just the just the different treatment mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. <laughs> that he will receive and your daughter will receive. Mm-hmm. Just based on skin color, mm-hmm. like how does that, like, how does one process that? I think about it every day. <laughs> um, eh. My son wakes up every day to three white people. You know, he's instantly a minority in our house just based on right. skin color. Um, and so, one, the community he's around our neighborhood. The moment he steps outside is our door. He has peers of all races and, and kids that look just like him outside. Right. So that, I think, is important for him. Um, also, the books we have in our house, the artwork we have, uh, what we talk about, the yeah. foods we eat. I mean, it, it's just I can't give him a traditional black upbringing. I'm not black. Right. But um, giving him as many parts of that as I can. Right. Um, the good news, too, is like he or we have a relationship with his birth family. So, you know, having the phone calls, talking to them on FaceTime and visiting um, is important too. Just, I will never be able, nothing about his situation will ever be able to diminish his blackness and whatever he decides that to be for him. Like, what does it mean for him to be black? But um, there are things like, with his black peers, he might feel like he missed out on because we're white. And so just, Knowing I can't um, give him that, but I can right. do my best to either provide him with resources or people right. that can welcome him into that. Right. Has there been any kind of discrimination against you, Zach, as parents, or any just negative treatment once people say, oh, Oh, you. I'm saying it can be from white or black folks, mm-hmm. or you know anybody that that may not agree with like biracial relationships, mm-hmm. uh, cross cultural adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, have you have you faced any of those barriers and challenges? Yeah, I mean, people. There's hateful people out there, especially right. social media. Kind of puts you on this public platform that anyone right. can come to and be like, right. "Don't like this. I'm gonna let you know that." Um, and I received that a lot at the beginning um, when my son came into our life. But the moment I switched, because I did have this very much like, I need to educate people on adoption approach on social media. Like that was my narrative. The moment I stopped doing that and just, I need to learn and I right. need to open my ears to adoptees right. and birth families and right. listen to their perspectives. Um, I haven't received that type of hateful you know attention um and then in public it's just it's not more so hate and and have i witnessed my son subjected to Mm -hmm. racial biases already at two yes right um but i haven't received like some angry person in public being hateful toward us but definitely insensitive questions right i mean it starts from curiosity and then people can get very bold very fast and they think this is a kid i mean they might not even think that when he's seven and can totally comprehend everything they're asking but the questions they ask in front of my kids what are some of those questions 
Um, I want to honor my kids and not like just say things that people have said that they can listen to down the road. Um, there's a lot of curiosity around my son's birth family, mm. which is nobody's business. Right. And um, then, like, there's also these comments, these very stereotypical comments, like, your daughter's so lucky she's going to have a brother that's going to protect her one day. And just, like, I don't know, it makes me wonder, like, are you looking at my black son thinking he's going to be bigger and badder and can protect this small, weak white woman, you know? I don't like that. Honestly, my daughter would probably beat up people for my son <laughs> if we're basing that on on personality. Um, so just, yeah, really insensitive conversations. Right. People don't think before they speak and they let their curiosity lead them. I think we've all kind of been, like, guilty of that shock. I know I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, when I have to catch, I have to check myself. Uh, and I and I think that's what it's about. A lot of times, just checking yourself and just knowing, like, okay, let, let me let me let me check myself on this situation when I see um, when I see a, a a white kid with a black family, you know, or or if it's a black kid with a white family, you know, like it's easy for us because of the just just the the world, the rate, the 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 country that we live in mm-hmm. is so color based, and so we all kind of conditioned to like automatically like like antennas, like hold on now, wait a minute. I'm guilty of that <laughs> right, too, right? And, and that's so, my family. Yeah, yeah. And so, <laughs> and so like, and so what I like about like just like you breaking down your story is one like it's okay to like to be honest and and just be like, look, I like. Like I know, like I'm, I'm thinking wrong, but I can correct that. At least be aware that I need to like reform my thinking. And I hope people that's listening, that might witness, you know, um, a family that you know is a uh, just just biracial or bicultural, and like just stop to think, like, okay, well, you know, what harm is that doing um, to to me or anybody else? I don't know their situation. Let me make sure I check myself on before I even feel to have the audacity to ask why the family mm-hmm. is the way it is, right? Um, but I also like your approach too that you understand, like, like just because of like what have been done to black folks that you like that you get it, like okay, I understand why, like why why people black folks have a reason. People mm-hmm. have a reason to be like curious, mm-hmm. like oh, okay, but like. It's but it's still like overstepping at some point to where uh, I I feel it's still overstepping to where I don't need to interject um, into your you all's family household because you have a black son or if you have a if you're a black household and have a white daughter like I I feel like like it's you get into a disrespectful line in my opinion and like we need to check ourselves on that mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. or if you do have thoughts sometimes keep them to yourself mm-hmm. um, because you don't know like you said the harm that mm-hmm. it may not just be causing you but their child you don't know how much they can and can't comprehend at three four five mm-hmm. years old and like and then that might be a whole nother conversation that you have to break down to them once you get home or in the car to explain why did that that lady or why did that man make that comment or say mm-hmm. that statement mm-hmm. I mean I can take the criticism or the questions I honestly don't mind that I think opening up discussion around adoption is a good thing right it's just when when my kids are present and when the, right. the questions are just very imposing onto right. like 
things no one really needs to know. Like right. at the end of the day, you can you can learn about our family without having to ask about my son's birth family or right. I hate the question, where did he come from? <laughs> um, um, okay. I think people ask that wanting to say, like, is he from another country originally right. or is he from America? And it's just, I don't know. I don't know why people need to know that, really. I mean, I'm happy to share. Right. Like, we're, we're, we'll celebrate his heritage. We'll celebrate his ethnicity. Right. Um, but the way people ask is just really Well, funny. you know where that comes from, though? Like, a lot of people... I mean, I didn't learn this until I was able to, like, travel, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can easily, like, even in... Because, you know, there's a... Like, we're a melting pot of people here, mm -hmm. right? And so, um, it can be easy for us to say, oh, you know what I'm saying? Where did you come from? Or where are you from? And depending on your background, you can... Like, I'm from the same place. I'm from the United States. I'm from... The, and so understanding how to like ask those questions is one thing I figured out when I was like just living abroad because you know people didn't think I was from the United States just simply because I was black mm -hmm. like they just think I guess everybody in the United States is white mm -hmm. is white <laughs> but it's like so where are you from no where are your parents from like no no where are their parents from like I know where you're trying to get to like yeah. like we are from the United States okay like but <laughs> but it's like it made me realize too like okay well let me make sure like how do I ask people like you know, oh, what's their na what's your nationality, or you know, what do you call home, and those type of like those type of other healthy ways to kind of get to know people mm -hmm. without kind of like coming out with like some ignorant out your mouth and kind of you know ex like exposing your lack of per perspective mm -hmm. um, and potentially your like your kind of biases that you already kind of have mm -hmm. and you're kind of showing a little bit by your questioning and trying to mm -hmm. figure out like what's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, with my situation mm -hmm. so. it's like what do you what do you need to know um and and it's i this might be a like morbid comparison but when someone passes away unexpectedly and you see on social media people are like how'd they die right like why why do you need to know that right like, what about the when you receive that answer all it is going to do is fuel your curiosity for two seconds and then you're going to move on with your day same with I'm just yeah I like the way you said right. where where do you call home yeah yeah um and so you t you taking like you and Zach mm -hmm. in general but you all are taking parenting and mix mixed it with like activism yes right? so I mentioned her before Dr. Tracy Baxley she she teaches on the um I guess her personal philosophy, I love it, though. It's just parenting is a form of activism. Mm -hmm. How you raise your children is going to affect the world tomorrow. Right. right. And so looking at it, when you stand in, in your space and you look at the world and, like, so much needs to change, where do I begin or how can just me make a difference? I'm really honing in on I'm a parent. Parenting is a form of activism. We start in the home. Um, so I, I just love that she's taught on that um, platform and I've really just adopted it for our own family and how we raise our kids. And so how are you making sure like like your upbringing is mm -hmm. different mm -hmm. for your kids? Um, the village. The village. The village. How's the village different? <laughs> <laughs> the village is great. I mean, I want my kids to see themselves reflected in our village. I want um, people that will challenge them, help them grow. Um, you know, Nashville gets tricky. Um, the 
you know, it's, it's very easy to find all white neighborhoods and, or all black neighborhoods. And you, it's hard to find sometimes it feels like areas, unless you're out like where, where you and I live, where it's a little bit more, um, spread out, but, um, just like closer to the city, just, it just feels like so clumpy. Right. So make, being intentional where we, where we live, making sure I don't want either of my kids to be a minority. And I know that that's wishful thinking. Right. Um, and, and just putting them in an environment where they see themselves represented equally every day. It's right. a dream, obviously. So that's what I try to do with our village. And so what is some of the, like the personal work, like to, to, to combat like, uh, white supremacy and your own mannerisms and things like that, that you're doing like just like often mm -hmm. to make sure you can create that village and be intentional about that. Well, I read a lot. Um, and then, so reading anti-racism books are just works from people that highlight different perspectives that I might not be considering when it comes to social issues in this country. Um, and then I try to do at least one education course a quarter toward that gears toward anti-racism. Um, the educators I really like, are, they're called the Kinswomen on Instagram, um, and they have a podcast. They, they do a lot of educational courses, and I've taken a lot with them. Um, just like is assimilation violence was one of the topics, and, and right. taking a class on that. And just that was a great one for me because I'm like, I need to obviously raise my son, but... I don't want to assimilate him right. either. Um, and so, yeah, trying to just educate myself. And then I recently quit my job. And that has given me a lot of time to dedicate toward causes I care about. So I joined the Nashville Book Connection, which is an organization here in Nashville that it's kind of like the Dolly Parton Imagination Library where the goal is to expand literacy and build children's libraries at home through mm -hmm. handing out free books. Um, but they really focus on doing that in the public school system in Nashville. Um, so right now we, we hand out books at Warner Arts, uh, Warner Art Magnet, Warner Magnet School, the elementary school in East Nashville. Um, and it's so great because all those books, the kids come out and they see themselves on those bookshelves, right. which is so important. Right. Um, and they pick whatever book they want. And sure, some of them gravitate toward, you know, the Disney princess books, like right. it's a winner every time. But <laughs> it's amazing to see what the kids um, will grab. Either books where a lot of the time it's books where they, the right. characters look like themselves, but sometimes too, it's um, like there's this blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy that chose the book, The Proudest Blue. I don't know if you're familiar with that book, no, but it's about um, um, the practice of wearing hijab. Okay. And I just loved that. Right. I'm like, you're just expanding your <laughs> right. views and putting that book on your bookshelf is so right. important. Do you, um, have you been able to help other white colleagues or peers of yours navigate white supremacy or, or racism um, in their journey, um, like using your experience or just recognize like, hey, let, like, like, let's, let's, like, let's talk about that. Are you that friend? <laughs> like, or just, you know, or like, or another parent or mm -hmm. something like, hey, like, let me, let me, 
let me talk to you about this and how this maybe could be like harmful um in some type of way yeah um yes i do i feel like my dms sometimes are just a little mini therapy session (laughs) for like weepy white women um who just like trying to process it in their own time which i'm grateful to help them but i'm not an expert um and I've also seen myself when I apply anti-racism practices to life in like real life, my performative allyship on my Instagram account dwindles because right. I'm not, I'm not doing virtue, virtue signaling, like, look how great of a white person I am. I'm right. more, just, it's like, it's not about that. It's right. not about who follows me to see like, she's a good white person, you know, right. it's more focusing on applying what I'm taking in into the real world and actually making a difference and actually making a change. Obviously having conversations about that um, is something I do often. I have a anti-racism accountability partner. She's a friend of mine, but um, she lives far away from here. But we Zoom once a month and we just, we challenge each other. We talk about things that have come up in our day-to-day life. We, um, and it's great. It's a great relationship. Oh, that's, yeah. that, that's that needs everybody needs one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, yeah, like for real. Because, like, because we all, I feel like no, no matter where you are on the spectrum, no matter what color you are, your nationality, ethnicity, if you're here in the United States, you're affected by white supremacy, mm-hmm. right? And we all have to to check ourselves and check each other sometimes. And having that accountability partner, um, like, is amazing. And I guess like I have one of those. Like my cousin is that for me. And it's a little different, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like like making sure, like when I, I I'm not projecting like self hate, mm-hmm. right? As a black man, making sure that mm-hmm. when I see another black man, like I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not feeling threatened by him because he looks like me, and not letting like mm-hmm. conditioning, mm-hmm. um, and and, and and this indoctrination like affect like that mm-hmm. moment, and just trying to show like just just give off the energy of love, but also show love, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and and making that a practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like and so that's like my accountability it's just one thing yeah. I'm checking myself on but also like that's something like my cousin is like hey man we gotta we gotta do better with that like mm. we should be able to say what's up to each other without mm. it being some tension or just because we look like you know we we look like each other mm. like and therefore like oh if, if I see myself as a threat and I'm I feel you know just working that out and so um, no, I like that though, and I would encourage everybody getting a you know uh, accountability. What did you call it again? She's like anti-racism accountability. Anti-racism, <laughs> anti-white supremacy accountability partner. Yep. Like no, for no, that's awesome. Yeah, that's like a club right there. It that's is a like, club. If anyone like, wants to join, come on. We no, got Zoom like, calls yeah. once a month. Yeah, hey, sign up for that. Yeah. I might just get on that. Just You're to welcome see. to join. Yeah, no, for real. Um, <laughs> seriously. So. Um, how I want to get into the book. Yeah, I want to get into the book, um, and I encourage everybody to get the book. Um, let's talk about how your journey and, and your kids, you know, are both represented in this book. Yeah. So, based on these ignorant co- to- topics and questions we get thrown at us often, insensitive, I should say, or very o- overly curious. Um, it's just like there will be a day when I'm not around to ex- like explain the nature of their relationship, um, and they're going to have to voice that themselves right. in a way that establishes boundaries but isn't, you know, like either super passive, aggressive, or um, too opening where they feel like they owe people 
the answer to, to things that they can keep to themselves. So it's like, right. <laughs> you'll appreciate this. They slept in one day um, early on, and it was probably before the pandemic, actually, but they slept in for a very long time. I'm like, what am I going to do with all this free time? <laughs> so I sat down and like <laughs> knocked this book out um, on my phone and shared it with a couple people. And I was like, I think I can make this a book. So I did. Um, and I always talk about the fact that it is meant for children in multiracial sibling dynamics to navigate conversations they'll get thrown at or that will get thrown at them. However, it's for everyone because you want to build empathy within your children. So adding a book to your bookshelf where that might not reflect your personal circumstances, but it'll still help your kid learn like, hey, there will be these types of siblings one day. Like, no, that's like, no, I look at your book. um, It's an anti-racist book. Hmm. Like, that's how I looked at it as far as like, even though it doesn't reflect my household, Mm -hmm. Um, or the household, or the household I grew up in, like I, I know, like that exists, right? Mm. And I want to raise a son that knows it exists too. And and when they come to age and mature, like they don't see that as something that's like abnormal, mm. something they they're confused or like be ignorant to, mm. and then ask like you know this you know insensitive questions and things like that. But like no, like oh no, I I, I had a book my dad and my mom read to me. That talked about like like how a brother and sister could you know be two different colors mm-hmm. and still be brother and sister mm-hmm. and grow grow up mm-hmm. and, and be family mm-hmm. and that's okay and there's nothing wrong with that mm-hmm. and just let that be and go on and we can all play together right and so um, I'm sure some other additions coming soon but like I really appreciate just how you took your journey and took your growth and every, we're all still learning and growing right. And like, and really put it in a, in a book, and for people like to conceptualize and invite into their home, and you know, reflect on that. Mm. You know, um, and I would encourage everybody to check it out, especially if you're a parent, though. Mm. Um, and, and and reflect on if you wouldn't read this book, why not? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you wouldn't put this in your home, why wouldn't mm-hmm. you? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and maybe that means you need you have some work you need to do. Mm. Um, and so what, what has the feedback been like about the, like on the book? I, I haven't gotten any negative feedback yet. Um, it's been very either like, I love this book because my family looks just like yours and this is great for my kids or it's just like, you know, friends who wanted to support me that are bringing the book into their home and then sharing the word. And um, right. and I don't say I haven't gotten any bad feedback yet to sound cocky about it. I'm just surprised because when you put out something that touches on race, right. even just a little bit in a mild way that right. I do in my children's book, I, I get nervous that people will get up in arms right. about it in their own way. So, And people tend, when the kids are involved, people tend to be more like sensitive mm-hmm. about tend to don't mean it ain't some people like that just don't care but it tend to be more sensitive but <clears throat> I think I I think you not getting any negative feedback yet because it might happen it will yeah. I gotta be open to yeah, it yeah but um I think it's also kind of I guess be optimistic about the shift in people's thinking in mm. this country mm-hmm too right you mm-hmm. can you can it might be a reach but like i would look at it as like okay like people are you know kind of waking up more to understand like this is this is okay 
um, and this can work. Um, and what what that book did for me is it made me think about like did I have any other book like this like mm-hmm. in my home and I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I had like different like cultural books, but I didn't have any books that mixed them all, like mixed it together, like black and white specifically, mm-hmm. right? I didn't have any books like that. It did intentionally make sure they had a primary, like black character and a primary white character, right? right? Didn't have any, right? Um, and so it made me think on like, well, I wonder, like, is there, is, are, are there a lot of books like this um, that, that are intentional about like, like making sure like, expressing because you're very like it's very like kind of like intentional about expressing like the togetherness and like it's okay about like mm-hmm. like my brother's like black my sister's white mm-hmm. um i haven't found any explicitly close to mine mm-hmm. but there are books about adoption out there and right they're not my favorite um but like that's the thing like i don't it doesn't like I, because I, I, I know you personally, mm-hmm. like, I, like, I know, like, that's where it comes from, but it doesn't, like, I get way more than that than for mm-hmm. me personally when I read the book. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And then just, just, just adoption, right? Yeah. Like, because that's, like, that's not really the focal point, like, in the, in the text, mm-hmm. right? It's not like, it's not like you're, you're, you're spilling that out, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, like, but you, but it, but it's like, but it's like the, it's under, it's the, it's the, like it's the really underlining, but also like on the surface kind of conversations mm-hmm. and in relationship um, that the brother and sister is having in the book. Yeah, they're really like they're they're really to me. That's why to like they really to me it really makes it like a like a like how to be an anti racist mm-hmm. <laughs> like kind of parent mm-hmm. in a way, uh, but just in a different way. I appreciate you saying that. Um, yeah, I. I definitely see where you're coming from. I did not make adoption the focal point. And it, it can be for kids that, you know, are in the foster care system too that might share a home with someone that doesn't look like them. Or, yeah. I mean, families are composed in wild ways. Right, so just right. that's based on my story, but it's still. But your story reflective. is probably a lot of other people's story, right? Yeah. Yep. And like you took the initiative to like to be brave and put that out there. Um, in, in a book. Um, yeah. And I think, like, I'm pretty, I know Zach is proud, I know your family's proud, but your kids are going to be proud. Like, I hope so. I, yeah, I think they're <laughs> going to be proud. And then, like, I, like, and so, like, I really appreciate you for that growth. And this platform is all about, like, building community, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, I don't, I actually just had a cousin, older, older cousin that, that adopted, I think, two kids, but they're both black. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I haven't I haven't been like experienced or like into the the adoption process or knew anybody that especially did um like kind of did adoption was oh I know Will Acuff I know Will Acuff I do know Will Acuff he did adop- he he did adopt a black son as well with a disability um, y'all check out that episode it's it's crazy um, but. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't really know anybody like that. And again, I had my own like like biases just growing up. Like oh, I don't know how I feel about like white people adopting like black kids. And then because you hear all these things like these horror stories, but also just like 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 what is that coming out of? Like well, those intentions? are important to consider though. Those yeah. horror stories. I mean, 
it's very easy for a white person to be ignorant and stay in that ignorance bubble. Right. It's there isn't anything challenging right. us. To, I mean, right. It's just that's how this country was formed for right. white people to be comfortable. Right. Um, and so, I I think those horror stories happen more often than we know of and it's a tragedy right. um and i think that's why if you do plant it's um to adopt transracially which is the term used for another race coming into a family of a different race transracial transracial adoption okay, yeah um to just really be mindful of like the environment you're about to put your kid in and i speak from this not as like a i know how to do it right, right. i'm still learning right. i was learning from the moment we considered adoption and i'm going to learn for the rest of my life right. um my hope though is just that I can provide my son with a really healthy environment where um, right. he can look back on one day and be like, right. you know, I don't know. I'll let him decide. Right. But, but, but also like your daughter too. Yep, you know, my daughter. Because, you know, <laughs> like that could, that, that, that's going to change the dynamic of maybe how people see and treat her mm -hmm. um, in this country, you know, in this world. Like, oh, you got to, you know. And so it just, we, it just... And so I know it's gonna be conversations on both on both sides, different conversations, but like conversations for sure. And you know, you just want you just want to make sure they're prepared and protected. Yeah, right? absolutely, absolutely. I have a it's kind of off topic, but a statistic. It's kind of devastating about the diversity in children's books in America. No, I have to ahead. read no. this off because it's no. a long. So this study was done by the Cooperative Children's Book Center, School of Education, University of Wisconsin-Madison. It's a mouthful. but And this was based in 2018, so hopefully we've seen these percentages level out just a little bit. But out of all the children's books in America, 50% of them contain white characters. Wow. Then 27% of them were animals. And oh. then 10%... African or African American, and then other ethnicities yeah, dwindle we're from than there. Animals. But so we're doesn't isn't <laughs> that to lead. know that our sons are more likely to open up a book with an animal in it as a main character than the, their own self is devastating it to is. me. And I never want to write a book where I contribute explicitly to that white percentage. But I also understand that by making books with main characters that are not of my own race right um one i need to be mindful of it there's this great resource out there called sensitivity editors um like if i wrote a book about a black character i'm not black so i can't write from my experiences right. they'll come in and um from their viewpoint as a black person edit your book for right. you it's amazing um, when, like one i i i just really appreciate you because just being that intentional and mindful when you, when we know people don't and maybe don't have to because mm. it's white privilege, mm. right? And so I, re I really, like, and, and I'm learning about these things mm. too, as, you, as we're talking about it. Like, I didn't know there were resources like that. Um, but, but you just have an intentionality to making sure that you're being sensitive and knowing, like, okay, like, I know my white privilege. Let me make sure that, like, I, I do this in the right, respectful mm. way. If there is one... Let me try to find it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great resource. And, I mean, it makes me as a writer look better. Right. So I just owe it to them. But right. um, also writing books like that, knowing that I might be taking up space of a, a BIPOC author who is also writing from the same. Right. So it's like this um, 
fine line to walk, like not contributing to just an all white book cast or there's like that token black person in the book that people throw in just to say their cast is diverse. Right. So not doing that, but also not taking up space where other people might deserve to have a bigger platform. So the only, the way I've looked at it is, you know, if I promote my book for every one book I promote of my own, boost up three books of, or more of other um, authors that are different race than me. Right. All right. So yeah, let's, um, let's, let's like, let's end on this. Let's close out. So you brought some books. I know. Here Um, I am. I look like a library. So let's, yeah, no. So let's, let's share them. Can you see me? So this one's a book, a kid's book about racism. You can't find it on like Amazon. You have to go to their website. It's called a kid's book about, I believe, dot Yep, a kid's book about.com. This one, if you're a white parent and you don't know how to introduce the topic of race, I think this is a great one to, to use. And then for parents with black children or any children that would be discriminated against based on their race, it's a great book to just start a conversation with. Okay. Um, they recommend six years old, but um, I've had educators tell me to actually introduce this kid to your children when they're a little bit younger. Okay. This book, sorry, I think called it. So this one is Come Meet Drayden. So this is written by Dana Young Askew. I um, interviewed her for my Candid Convos with Authors. Um, she's a wonderful friend of mine and just a wonderful human. And so she wrote a book about her son who has autism. Um, so I think that one's a great one you guys should check out. I've talked about her a couple times in this interview, Dr. Tracy Baxley. She just came out with this book. It's called Social Justice Parenting. Okay. Um, I haven't started it yet. I read books very sporadically, um, but I follow her on Instagram, and I believe everything she talks about. So I think that's a great one for parents to read. And then I talked about sensitivity um, uh, editors. Elizabeth Stevens is someone I've been consulting with. So this is her novel, The Hunting Town, and she actually has a couple books out. If you're into fantasy or sci-fi, she writes a whole bunch of that type of stuff. So those are (laughs) I recommend. No. This is this is awesome, and I got you. Just gave me a couple of ideas that I think um, that I would like. We're gonna talk about once we finish. Mm-hmm. But um, Jeanette, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. No, on. like like you dropped a lot of knowledge. Like I was just unaware of. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> and I, and and I hope like the listeners and the watchers uh, one check out these books as they apply or don't apply to you or whatever. But check them out. Refer them to other people they may apply to. But also like like do the work like mm-hmm. be intentional um, like 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 Jeanette has been able to be intentional and and still knowing like you're growing and you're learning mm-hmm. every day um, and it's not something you can just be perfect at right mm-hmm. um, and so no I appreciate you thank you I appreciate you for doing this this is wonderful no 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 um, and of course I appreciate everybody that's listening and watching but uh, thank you until thank next you. time bringing you back bye all right see y'all later. <laughs>